Hello, this is Elizabeth Ficken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. In this season's podcast, I'll share the lectures that I've given as I've taught through the book of Micah to the women's Bible study at my church. The short book of Micah is prophecy which declares God's judgment against injustice, which will prompt us to examine how we live our lives and treat others. The book of Micah also declares God's overwhelming mercy to forgive sins, and it unveils the Lord's extraordinary plans for the nation of Israel during the Millennial Kingdom when Jesus Christ reigns supreme. Micah's name means, Who is like God? The only correct answer to that question is, No one. The message of Micah will lead us to know more about the character of our God and Savior, and will lead us to honor and adore them as they deserve. Jesus the Breaker is coming, and that is the best news. My last two talks have been about history, about the past. This is about the future, and we don't know when that future is going to happen. It would be at least, the the grand finale of what I'm going to talk about is at least seven years away from today if we get raptured in a few minutes. But um, (laughs) God has given us this information about the future for our benefit. I don't know how this is going to benefit you, but just remember, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And remember that righteousness is related to justice. So our behavior could be impacted by what we learn from um, from the future that we'll talk about today. Righteousness and justice, that's about doing what is right in God's eyes. You learned in your lessons this week that justice is loving what is good and hating what is evil. And the future that is coming will be the ultimate showdown between justice and injustice. The ultimate showdown between what is good and what is evil. It will be all-out war. And it is great to know that our good king jesus will be the hero he is the rescuer and he is the winner of that war and i hope he's already won the war that we talked about last week the war against sin i hope he's won that war in your life and you will continue to then declare war on sin as you see it rise up but um so i also hope that the details that we're going to go over today will increase your faith in the lord And your faith in Jesus, the Lord has made promises to Israel. And he's going to keep those promises. Well, I do hope that what we're going to look at will increase your faith in Jesus, who is mighty to save. And if he can handle what is coming in the future that is horrible, then he can handle what is happening in your life today and i know there's so much going on there are so many struggles and sufferings and problems and issues what's happening in the lives of the israelites what did we see in micah we saw number one that the jews are go they're scattered because of the attack from assyria and the northern kingdom was scattered micah is prophesying that they will be exiled from judah into babylon The Jews are exiled because of those two things, but also because of um, their rejection of Jesus 
and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And Jews have been scattered all over the world since that time. They have been scattered and persecuted and run out of one country after another after another, everywhere they go. What's going to happen to the Jews? What's going to happen to the nation of Israel in the future? And that's what I'm going to be looking at this morning. Number two, God promised blessings through the Abrahamic covenant. He promised blessings to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he promised in that land and blessing through the seed of Abraham. And blessing, that's a key word, land, seed, and blessing. Those are the three items that are guaranteed through the Abrahamic covenant. God promised a kingdom, and he promised to be the king of Israel. He is the king of Israel. He promised to give the Israelites a large territory. And again, so many blessings are promised. Number three, God promised to David the Davidic covenant. He promised to David that he would always have a son on the throne. So God promised that the Davidic king, the son of David, would be king and be king forever. That's Jesus, and he is going to be king over Israel and reign from Jerusalem forever. Number four, because of all this, Satan hates God. He hates God's plan, and he hates God's son, Jesus. Satan knows God's plan, and he knows that the Jews are critical to God's plan. They're critical because of God's promises to them and because of the Jews' need for Jesus. Satan's hatred of God, Satan's hatred of Jesus, Satan's hatred of the Jews is the root of anti-Semitism. The prejudice and persecution and hatred of Jews throughout all history is ultimately Satan's war against God and King Jesus. Anti-Semitism is one of the evidences that Israel will have the future that God has planned for them. Satan will not win, even though he's trying to do away with them. So you may have heard, and I will say this through this lesson, Israel itself is evidence of God and his promise and the truth of Scripture. Israel as a nation. But anti-Semitism is also evidence of God's promises to them. Why? Is the world against the Jews? For what reason have they, has the world always been against the Jews? Satan knows God's plan, but he will not destroy the Jews. Now I'm going to give you a big picture overview of end times. You have seen this before, probably. And I'm not going to spend much time on this. This is a dispensational view. It is premillennialism, meaning that tribulation and Jesus' return happened before the 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth. It is pre-tribulational regarding rapture. The rapture, the um, Jesus' rescue of us happens before the seven years of tribulation. The war of Gog and Magog is has a question mark there. It could happen before the rapture of church. It could happen right after. It is not the beginning of the tribulation. Some people very <laughs> disputed as to when that happens. And um, so we, that's the big picture I wanted you to see very briefly. Now 
I will, we're going to zoom in to the tribulation part, and there is a first three and a half years, then a midpoint, and a second three and a half years. I have kept the millennial kingdom picture up here, the pink square, so that you'll remember <laughs> it's coming, and that is what is, um, God is bringing things to that point where Jesus reigns from Jerusalem. Now I'm going to go to, oh, I need to give you one more um, talk about what's happening in the first half. So now I'm at number five on your handout. Prophecies declare that Jews will be regathered to Israel in unbelief first. Ezekiel 37 is the vision of the dry bones. 37, 7 and 8. Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Ezekiel sees bones, but then he sees dead bodies. This is the nation of Israel being regathered in unbelief. The Spirit of God Life, salvation, has not been breathed into them yet. This is also what's happening in Micah 2.12 in a, uh, a little bit where we read, I will sh the Lord says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. So there is a regathering that's beginning, but we also will see that this verse in Micah is related to a very specific gathering of Jews. And we'll get to that. Number six, Satan will take advantage of this regathering of Israel in unbelief. And he will do this to try to destroy the Jews through the Antichrist. First, with a deception of peace, that seven-year peace treaty. And this treaty will allow the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem it will allow reinstated worship there. And you can just think how many more Jews are going to want to go back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. So a continued return of Jews from around the world back to Jerusalem. Then comes the, we're, we're skipping a lot of things that happened in the first half of the tribulation. Number seven is the midpoint of the tribulation and this comes when the antichrist seats himself on the throne meaning putting himself in the temple on the holy of holies that is considered the throne of god and when he seats himself in the temple this is called the abomination of desolation this is the point in time where he begins his world domination it has to be what he says and it is the worst tribulation against the jews ever he will require all people all over the world to worship him, which means that any other religion is forbidden. It's outlawed. He is going to put a stop to the worship at the temple. And next, just at this time, number eight, the Antichrist has his world capital in Babylon, which I believe, I've been taught, I'm not alone, that this is somewhere in modern-day Iraq, that a new prosperous city is built and just it's the economic center it's the political center where does the money come from it's going to funnel through the antichrist's hands and his people everyone must have the mark of the beast 666 
somehow they will have this mark and it is required to buy and sell, trade. So life is dependent on worshiping and obeying and having the mark of the beast. But not everyone will take that mark. Number nine on your handout. During the seven years of tribulation, there are four groups of Jews, according to Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who I am depending on a lot for this, but I have looked at many other sources who are in agreement with the view that I am explaining to you. So um, Arnold Fruchtenbaum says of the four groups of Jews, one is unbelieving Jews. They're the ones that enter the seven-year covenant. Really helped me when I realized, oh, these are basically cultural Jews. They're in Israel. They're doing this for political reasons. This is not really, I mean, maybe there's some religion and Bible thrown in there, but they're compromising and they're agreeing to a peace treaty with the Antichrist. These will um, make up about two, sorry, of all the Jews that are alive at that time, about two thirds of them will die. And this is a large portion of those who will die, unbelieving Jews. Another group of Jews would be the 144,000. They would be of the one-third of the Jews that survive the terrors of the tribulation. The 144,000 are saved. They have the Spirit of God. They believe in Jesus as their Messiah, and they have salvation. They are sealed. This happens after the rapture. And they are some of the evangelists during the first half of the tribulation. They share their faith in Jesus. And then the third group hears and become other Jewish believers. They are perhaps martyred if they don't take the mark of the beast. Revelation 7, 9 talks about those who were martyred. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. So that gives us a key that there will be Jews included in this group of martyrs. Uh, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Verse 14, John says to whoever he's talking to, I guess the angel, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So, unbelieving Jews, 144,000 Jews, Jewish believers from that evangelistic effort. And then the uh, number four, the faithful remnant. These are Jews who are trusting God, but they haven't trusted Jesus yet during the tribulation. They don't take the mark. They don't take the mark of the beast, but they don't have life in Christ. They don't have the spirit of God in them, but they're called the faithful remnant. Now I'm going to give you another zoomed in view of a timeline. We're going to go to the midpoint and what happens then? This is the key moment for the faithful remnant of Jews that I was just talking about. Those who are trusting God, they want to know God, but they have not trusted the Messiah yet. A key moment is in Revelation 12, 6, which says, The woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, 
in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So based on the context in Revelation right here, this woman is Israel. Why is she fleeing into the wilderness? The uh, Revelation 12, 13 and 14. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. So we have two things repeated from Revelation 12, 6, Revelation 12, 14. The woman flees into the wilderness. She is nourished by God for 1260 days. 1260 days is the same as the time, times, and half a time. And it says that there is a place prepared by God. This is where we are seeing the faithful remnant flee to Basra, Edom. I'm going to be calling it Petra because that gives me a really clear visual image of where they're going. This fleeing into the wilderness matches what Jesus said. You looked at this in your homework, Matthew 24, 16. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation... Flee to the mountains. Flee, get out of Jerusalem, get to the wilderness, get to this safe place. Go, go, hurry. Why is this happening? Fruchtenbaum says, Satan knows his time is short. He is now ready to come down on the Jews. And the second half of the tribulation is the greatest tribulation of the Jews. It's going to be worse than the Holocaust. Satan is against Israel because they are the key to Jesus' return. At the time, there will be an all-out, satanically organized campaign to wipe out the Jews once and for all. That is the Antichrist's mission. Perhaps that is the place that God has prepared for the Jews to go and hide and live during this three and a half years. Perhaps they begin there and then they continue and, and people keep coming to that place. I'm at number 11. Um, the four, of the four groups of Jews, the fourth is the faithful remnant, and that's the group that flees to Petra. They don't have the mark. Because they don't have the mark, they need provision. So how are they going to have food and water, supplies? How are they going to live? It says God will nourish them in Revelation 12:6. Perhaps there will be a Christian underground network that helps prepare the place and provide for them. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 34 through 40, he's the king. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And the question that you have to ask in this is, who are Jesus' brothers? Well, Jesus is a Jew. <laughs> His brothers are probably the Jews, and it could be this faithful remnant. It could be, I mean, if you minister to Jews today, then you are doing the right thing. We can do that today. But perhaps 
Christians are going to be ministering to Jews during the tribulation and then be rewarded for that. Next on the timeline, in the second half of the tribulation, the Lord is having his angels pour out the bowl judgments, horrible judgments, seven of them poured out on the world. We're going to skip to the sixth bowl. There's a lot going on that I'm not talking about. So, um, number 12 is while the faithful remnant is in Petra for the three and a half years, the Antichrist is ruling and these seven bowl judgments are being pulled out, poured out. Number 13, the sixth bowl judgment is the drying of the Euphrates River. Revelation 16, 12. The, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. This is east of Israel. It doesn't have to be China. Some people think that this is China, but it could be, I mean, anything just east of Israel. And verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, the beast's mouth, from the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God the Almighty. Okay, so kings of the whole world, kings of the east, kings of the whole world, and they are being assembled. Who's doing this? God is allowing these demons to bring them. And verse 15 says, look, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go naked and they see his shame. I don't know what to do with that verse. <laughs> Number, verse 16. So they assembled them at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So here, Revelation 16, 12 through 16, we're seeing Euphrates River is dried up. Um, armies are being assembled and they're being assembled in what is called Armageddon. Armageddon is technically Har Megiddo, Mount Megiddo. It's a mountain, it's a landmark in Israel. And at the base of the mountain is the Valley of Jezreel. It is huge, it is flat. There's an airport there right now. And this is a place where many battles have already been fought. The Antichrist will use this as a staging place to gather the armies of the world for the purpose of destroying all Jews living at that moment. The battle is not fought at Armageddon. So we really should learn to call it the campaign of Armageddon or the gathering place of Armageddon. Number 15, while the Antichrist is at Armageddon and gathering his armies, Babylon falls. So his capital city that has been rebuilt and is grand and prosperous, it falls. And there's so much about that and I can't talk about it. Number 16, the Antichrist and his armies attack Jerusalem from the northern area because Armageddon, the Valley of Jezreel, is north of Jerusalem. So he is going to come south and attack the Jews who are in Jerusalem. Which Jews are these? Well, the unbelieving Jews are there. And there may be some faithful remnant there as well. Jews do fight back. They put is some destruction to the armies of the Antichrist, but the Jews lose the battle and Jerusalem falls to the Antichrist. This is, this is bad. It's horrible in Jerusalem right now. I think, let me see. Oh, well, this is coming, but don't look at that yet. <laughs> I've got to go back. I've got to tell you about number 17 first. 
Because not all the Jews are in Jerusalem, because there's a faithful remnant in hiding, perhaps in Petra, the Antichrist and his armies head to Basra, to Edom, to annihilate the Jews. So they know they're there. They know there are more Jews they want to destroy. Jeremiah 49, 13 and 14 says, For by myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, Basra will become a desolation, a disgrace, a ruin, a curse, and all her cities will become ruins forever. Jeremiah says, I have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Assemble yourselves to come against her. Rise up for war. So the message is sent out from the Lord. Go to Basra. Go fight in Basra. Now, number 18, we come to what a moment in the history of God's creation. The last three days before the second coming of Christ. That's how Arnold Fruchtenbaum phrases it. And I just kind of go, oh, oh my goodness. The last three days. The last three days of the tribulation. Where do we get this? Hosea 5, 15 says, I will depart and return to my place. This is the Lord speaking. I will depart and return to my place until they recognize their guilt and seek my face. They will search for me in their distress. The very next verse in the Bible is this. It's what the Israelites say. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us. He will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. So what we can see here is that the Jews who survived the attack in Jerusalem and the Jews who are hiding in Petra, the faithful remnant, will call out and plead for forgiveness. They will have national repentance because of their rejection of Jesus. They will ask for forgiveness of that sin, of rejecting Jesus when he came first. And there is also individual repentance as well, asking for forgiveness of their own sins. And this is when all Israel will be saved. All Israel alive at that time, the faithful remnant, they will be saved. So Fruchtemom describes this saying, Hosea describes two days of national confession of sin. And then on the third day, they plead for the coming of their Messiah. They plead for Jesus to come to earth and save them. Perhaps this coincides with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Jewish festivals begin at sundown of the evening. They continue to the next day. That could give you two days. And then the third day, they could be pleading for Jesus to come. Zechariah 12.10 is something you may have heard before. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and on those living in Jerusalem a spirit of grace and prayer. They will look to me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will be in bitterness on his behalf like the bitterness for a firstborn son. So I have been taught that this is when Israel looks to Jesus. 
and sees him as the one they pierced. And this is the moment of repentance. In our Bibles, it may say they look upon Jesus. And it sounds like they actually see him. But the little word that is used in the Hebrew just is a little word, al. And it can mean toward, to. Um, not necessarily that I have to see you in person. So, um, um, Fructa Mom says, Before Israel will, will receive the cleansing of her sin, and before Messiah will return to establish his kingdom, the Israelites must first look unto, look to him in their need. And they look unto the one whom they have pierced, and they plead for his return. Once they do this, then and only then will they receive their cleansing and begin to enjoy the blessings of the Messianic age. What we have described here as we look at Hosea, the Hosea verses and Zechariah 12.10, if the Jews are in Israel, uh, Petra and they are asking for forgiveness, God has poured out his Holy Spirit of grace upon them and in faith, they ask for forgiveness and they ask for salvation. Ephesians 2, 8. It is by grace which you have been saved through faith. That is how God always works his salvation. So this brings us to number 19. The faithful remnant in Petra calls on Jesus to save them. And as Jesus said to the Jewish leadership of his day in Matthew 23, 37 through 39, Jesus said, you will not see me till you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish nation has to ask for Jesus to come. When Jesus said, you have, he didn't say you have to say, but I won't come until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is the second part of a prayer in Psalm 118. And the first part of that prayer is, Lord, save us. So Psalm 118, 25. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, save us. We say, Hosanna. This is Hoshiana. That's the verb. Hoshia. The noun is Yeshua. Salvation. Wow. They're going to be saying his name. Yeshua. Salvation. One more thing about Satan's war against the Jews. And this is what Fruchtenbaum says. Um, the Jewish leaders once led the nation to the rejection of the Messiahship of Yeshua, and they must someday lead the nation to the acceptance of the same. It is this fact that explains Satan's war against the Jews throughout history in general and during the tribulation in particular. Satan knows that once Messiah returns, his freedom ends. Satan also knows that Yeshua will not return until the Jewish leaders ask him to come back. So if Satan can succeed in destroying the Jews once and for all before they come to a national repentance, then Yeshua will not return and Satan's career is eternally safe. Anti-Semitism in any form, active or passive, whether it's racial, ethnic, national, economic, political, religious, or theological, is all a part of the satanic strategy to avoid the second coming. Let us keep our eyes open around the world today and bless Israel, be pro-Israel, pray for them now, pray for their future. So Jesus is coming back. The breaker is coming back. And when he comes back, 
He will do so as he left. He rose, ascended into the clouds. He will come down through the clouds. I thought Zechariah 12 and other, Zechariah 14 said, Jesus, and I'll read this in a little bit. He will come back and stand on the Mount of Olives. I thought that was his breakthrough moment. Come through the clouds, stand on the Mount of Olives, earthquake, and Israel is saved. But I'm learning more of the story through Micah and our study. Um, number 20, Jesus comes back and he comes to Edom, to Basra, Isaiah 63, 1. You saw that in your homework. It says, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. Oh, I love picture. Oh. Okay, we'll just put that on there. This is the moment. He comes back gloriously through the clouds to rescue Israel, the remnant that is gathered in Basra, which is besieged by the forces of the Antichrist. They are finally able to break the siege because Yahweh the King, Yeshua, is leading them. And at this point, Messiah enters into battle with the forces of the Antichrist. Number 21 on your handout says that um, Yahweh saves the tents of Judah first. Zechariah 12, 7 says that. The Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jer Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. Tents are temporary dwellings. So you can see how that could be the people in hiding, in security in Petra. Petra was being used as this sheepfold this place where the Lord's flock, the remnant, is gathered and secure. Number 22, Jesus slays the Antichrist. Hallelujah. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So, Messiah defeats the Antichrist. Luther says, One little word shall fell him. And he begins to defeat the armies of the Antichrist. Fruchtenbaum, number 23. While the battle between Messiah and Antichrist will begin at Basra, it will apparently continue all the way back to the eastern walls of Jerusalem, which overlook a section of the Kidron Valley, also known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. So Jesus is marching from Basra up to Jerusalem, defeating the armies of the Antichrist, He's crushing the nations who are against him. And this is where it says the blood is as high as... In 20, the angel swung his sickle toward the earth, gathered the grapes from the earth's vineyard, threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And the press was trampled outside the city, and the blood flowed out of the press up to the horse's bridles for about 180 miles. Where is there 180 miles? And how high is a horse's bridle? They say maybe about four feet high. Sounds like a river of blood that is flowing. And it could be flowing from Jerusalem to Basra. That's about 100 miles. So a round trip would be 200 miles. Or if it went from Basra to the Red Sea, I'm sorry, Jerusalem to Basra to the Red Sea equals about 200 miles. So it could be emptying into the Red Sea. It sounds like massive bloodletting. I cannot imagine this. Something supernatural, perhaps. It may not all be human blood. 
It may be that things are turned into blood by divine judgment. Yuck. But here comes the best moment. Okay. <laughs> Number 24, the victory ascent up the Mount of Olives. Jesus will stand on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14:4. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. And the seventh bowl is poured out. That is a great earthquake, greater than any ever at any time. And it affects many places. It apparently affects Jerusalem and affects Babylon and changes topography all over the world. And Jesus reigns. Things will get cleaned up and the pink Millennial Kingdom will begin. Pink is a happy color for me, so the Millennial Kingdom will be a, a happy time. Ah, oh, Jesus wins. He saves Israel. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises to his people. That has been and continues to be the greatest um, evidence to me that God has a plan for Israel. He's a faithful God. He said something and he's going to do it. And there's some things we haven't seen fulfilled yet. There are some things that Israel has not seen fulfilled yet. So God has it all. He has got the whole world in his hands. He knows what he has to do. He knows what his son Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to be a warrior, king, shepherd, coming in glory and in rescue he's the breaker he is the superhero there is no one greater than he is so trust him for whatever it is that you need to get help with today look to him because he's there he's available he's ready he is so powerful mighty to save so be encouraged let's pray and praise him now lord god our father in heaven you are holy you are wise you have a plan that still is beyond our comprehension and we're just trying to imagine how some of these things will play out Thank you that, Jesus, you have said yes, and you are the king who will take care of it all. And you have already done what is incredible in giving yourself. And you rose on the third day. We know that you conquered death then. And because of your life, we have life. And Holy Spirit, you are active and you move and you empower us and strengthen us. So, Help us with this information to understand it better, but most of all to um, trust you every moment of our lives and to live in a way that pleases you right now, to be evidence of who you are and that your promises are true and we can trust you. Help us share this with others. And Lord, we do pray for Israel. We pray for individual Jews right now who look to you. They want to know you. Open their eyes to Yeshua, to salvation, to deliverance, to freedom from sin and true atonement that the sacrifice of lambs can never bring about. Jesus, we praise you. You are the lamb who gave yourself for us. So we trust you and in your name we pray. Amen.
That's all for today. I'm Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.